0: Section 8 of Rackety-Packety House and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rackety-Packety House and Other Stories by Francis Hodgson Burnett. The Little Hunchback Zia, Part 1 the little hunchback Zia toiled slowly up the steep road keeping in the deepest shadows even though the night had long fallen sometimes he staggered with weariness or struck his foot against a stone and smothered his involuntary cry of pain he was so full of terror that he was afraid to utter a sound which might cause any traveller to glance toward him this he feared more than any other thing that some man or woman might look at him too closely if such a one knew much and had keen eyes he or she might in some way guess even at what they might not yet see since he had fled from the village in which his wretched short life had been spent he had hidden himself in thickets and behind walls or rocks or bushes during the day and had only come forth at night to stagger along his way in the darkness if he had not managed to steal some food before he began his journey and if he had not found in one place some beans dropped from a camel's feeding bag he would have starved for five nights he had been wandering on but in his desperate fear he had lost count of time when he had left the place he had called his home he had not known where he was going or where he might hide himself in the end the old woman with whom he had lived and for whom he had begged and labored had driven him out with a terror as great as his own begone she had cried in a smothered shriek get thee gone accursed even now thou mayest have brought the curse upon me also a creature born a hunchback comes on earth with the blight of jehovah's wrath upon him go far go as far as thy limbs will carry thee let no man come near enough to thee to see it if thou go far enough away before it is known it will be forgotten that i have harbored thee he had stood and looked at her in the silence of the dead his immense black syrian eyes growing wider and wider with childish horror he had always regarded her with slavish fear what he was to her he did not know Neither did he know how he had fallen into her hands He knew only that he was not of her blood or of her country and that he yet seemed to have always Belonged to her in his first memory of his existence a little deformed creature Rolling about on the littered floor of her uncleanly hovel he had trembled at the sound of her voice and Had obeyed it like a beaten spaniel puppy when he had grown older he had seen that she lived upon alms and thievery and witch-like evil doings that made all decent folk avoid her. She had no kinsfolk or friends, and only such visitors as came to her in the dark hours of the night, and seemed to consult with her as she sat and mumbled strange incantations while she stirred a boiling pot. Zia had heard of soothsayers and dealers with evil spirits. And at such hours was either asleep on his pallet in a far corner, or if he lay awake, hid his face under his wretched covering and stopped his ears. Once, when she had drawn near and found his large eyes open and staring at her in spellbound terror, she had beaten him horribly and cast him into the storm raging outside. A strange passion in her seemed her hatred of his eyes. She could not endure that he should look at her as if he were thinking He must not let his eyes rest on her for more than a moment when he spoke He must keep them fixed on the ground or look away from her From his babyhood this had been so a Hundred times she had struck him when he was too young to understand her reason the first strange lesson He had learned was that she hated his eyes and was driven to fury when she found them resting innocently upon her before he was three years old he had learned this thing and had formed the habit of looking down upon the earth as he limped about for long he thought that his eyes were as hideous as his body was distorted in her frenzies she told him that evil spirits looked out from them and that he was possessed of devils without thought of rebellion or resentment he accepted with timorous humility as part of his existence her taunts and his twisted limbs what use in rebellion or anger with the fatalism of the east he resigned himself to that which was he had been born a deformity and even his glance carried evil this was life he knew no other of his origin he knew nothing except that from the old woman's rambling outbursts he had gathered that he was of syrian blood and a homeless outcast but though he had so long trained himself to look downward that it had at last become an effort to lift his heavily lashed eyelids there came a time when he learned that his eyes were not so hideously evil as his task mistress had convinced him that they were when he was only seven years old she sent him out to beg alms for her and on the first day of his going forth she said a strange thing the meaning of which he could not understand go not forth with thine eyes bent downward on the dust lift them and look long at those from whom thou askest alms lift them and look as i see thee look at the sky when thou knowest not i am near i have seen thee hunchback Gaze at the passer-by as if thou sawest their souls and asked help of them She said it with a fierce laugh of derision But when in his astonishment he involuntarily Lifted his gaze to hers she struck at him her harsh laugh broken in two Not at me hunchback not at me at those who are ready to give she cried out He had gone out stunned with amazement he wondered so greatly that when he at last sat down by the roadside under a fig tree, he sat in a dream. He looked up at the blueness above him, as he always did when he was alone. His eyelids did not seem heavy when he lifted them to look at the sky. The blueness and the billows of white clouds brought rest to him and made him forget what he was. The floating clouds were his only friends. There was something, yes, there was something, he did not know what he wished he were a cloud himself and could lose himself at last in the blueness as the clouds did when they melted away surely the blueness was the something the soft dull pad of camel's feet approached upon the road without his hearing them he was not roused from his absorption until the camel stopped its tread so near him that he started and looked up it was necessary that he should look up a long way He was a deformed little child, and the camel was a tall and splendid one, with rich trappings and golden bells. The man it carried was dressed richly, and the expression of his dark face was at once restless and curious. He was bending down and staring at Zia as if he were something strange. "'What dost thou see, child?' he said at last, and he spoke almost in a breathless whisper. "'What art thou waiting for?' zia stumbled to his feet and held out his bag frightened because he had never begged before and did not know how and if he did not carry back money and food he would be horribly beaten again alms alms he stammered master lord i beg for for her who keeps me she is poor and old alms great lord for a woman who is old the man with a restless face still stared He spoke as if unaware that he uttered words, and as if he were afraid. The child's eyes, he said. I cannot pass him by. What is it? I must not be held back. But the unearthly beauty of his eyes! He caught his breath as he spoke, and then he seemed to awaken as one struggling against a spell. What is thy name? he asked. Zia also had lost his breath what had the man meant when he spoke of his eyes he told his name but he could answer no further questions he did not know whose son he was he had no home of his mistress he knew only that her name was judith and that she lived on alms. even while he related these things he remembered his lesson and dropping his eyelids fixed his gaze on the camel's feet why dost thou cast thine eyes downward the man asked in a troubled and intense voice zia could not speak being stricken with fear and the dumbness of bewilderment he stood quite silent and as he lifted his eyes and let them rest on the stranger's own they became large with tears big piteous tears why persisted the man anxiously is it because thou seest evil in my soul no no sobbed zia one taught me to look away because i am hideous and my my eyes are evil evil said the stranger they have lied to thee he was trembling as he spoke a man who has been pondering on sin dare not pass their beauty by they draw him and show him his own soul having seen them i must turn my camel's feet backward and go no farther on this road which was to lead me to a black deed he bent down and dropped a purse into the child's alms bag still staring at him and breathing hard they have the look he muttered of eyes that might behold the messiah who knows who knows and he turned his camel's head still shuddering a little and he rode away back towards the place from which he had come there was gold in the purse he had given and when zia carried it back to judith she snatched it from him and asked him many questions She made him repeat word for word all that had passed. After that he was sent out to beg day after day, and in time he vaguely understood that the old woman had spoken falsely when she had said that evil spirits looked forth hideously from his eyes. People often said that they were beautiful, and gave him money because something in his gaze drew them near to him. But this was not all. At times there were those who spoke under their breath to one another of some wonder of light in them, some strange luminousness which was not earthly. He surely sees that which we cannot. Perhaps when he is a man he will be a great soothsayer and reader of the stars, he heard a woman whisper to a companion one day. Those who were evil were afraid to meet his gaze, and hated it as old Judith did, though as he was not their servant. They dared not strike him when he lifted his soft heavy eyelids But Zia could not understand what people meant when they whispered about him or turned away fiercely a Weight was lifted from his soul when he realized that he was not as revolting as he had believed And when people spoke kindly to him he began to know something like happiness for the first time in his life He brought home so much in his arms bag that the old woman ceased to beat him and gave him more liberty he was allowed to go out at night and sleep under the stars at such times he used to lie and look up at the jewelled myriads until he felt himself drawn upward and floating nearer and nearer to that unknown something which he felt also in the high blueness of the day when he first began to feel as if some mysterious ailment was creeping upon him he kept himself out of judith's way as much as possible he dared not tell her that sometimes he could scarcely crawl from one place to another a miserable fevered weakness became his secret as the old woman took no notice of him except when he brought back his day's earnings it was easy to evade her one morning however she fixed her eyes upon him suddenly and keenly why art thou so white she said and caught him by the arm whirling him toward the light art thou ailing no no cried zia she held him still for a few seconds still staring thou art too white she said i will have no such whiteness it is the whiteness of-of an accursed thing get thee gone he went away feeling cold and shaken he knew he was white one or two almsgivers had spoken of it and had looked at him a little fearfully he himself could see that the flesh of his thin body was becoming an unearthly color now and then he had shuddered as he looked at it because because there was one curse so horrible beyond all others that the strongest man would have quailed in his dread of its drawing near him and he was a child a twelve-year-old boy a helpless little hunchback mendicant when he saw the first white and red spot upon his flesh he stood still and stared at it gasping and the sweat started out upon him, and rolled down in great drops. Jehovah, he whispered, God of Israel, thy servant is but a child. But there broke out upon him other spots, and every time he found a new one his flesh quaked, and he could not help looking at it in secret again and again. Every time he looked it was because he hoped it might have faded away but no spot faded away and the skin on the palms of his hands began to be rough and cracked and to show spots also in a cave on a hillside near the road where he sat and begged there lived a deathly being who with face swathed in linen and with bandaged stumps of limbs hobbled forth now and then and came down to beg also but always keeping at a distance from all human creatures and as he approached the pitiful rattled loudly his wooden clappers wailing out unclean unclean it was the leper Barias, whose hopeless tale of awful days was almost done zia himself had sometimes limped up the hillside and laid some of his own poor food upon a stone near his cave so that he might find it one day He had also taken a branch of almond blossom in full flower and had laid it by the food. And when he had gone away he stood at some distance, watching to see the poor ghost come forth to take what he had given. And he had seen him first clutch at the blossoming branch and fall upon his face, holding it to his breast—a white, bound, shapeless thing, sobbing and uttering, hoarse-croaking, unhuman cries. No alms-giver. But Zia had ever dreamed of bringing a flower to him who was forever cut off from all bloom and loveliness It was this white shuddering creature that Zia remembered with a sick chill of horror when he saw the spots unclean unclean He heard the cracked voice cry to the sound of wooden clappers unclean unclean judith was standing at the door of her hovel one morning when Zeal was going forth for the day he had fearfully been aware that for days she had been watching him as he had never known her to watch him before this morning she had followed him to the door and had held him there a few moments in the light with some harsh speech keeping her eyes fixed on him the while even as they so stood there fell upon the clear air of the morning a hollow far-off sound the sound of wooden clappers rattled together and the hopeless crying of two words unclean unclean and then silence fell upon Zia descended a fear beyond all power of words to utter in his quaking young torment he lifted his eyes and met the gaze of the old woman as it flamed down upon him go within she commanded suddenly and pointed to the wretched room inside he obeyed her and she followed him closing the door behind them tear off thy garments she ordered strip thyself to thy skin to thy skin he shook from head to foot his trembling hands almost refusing to obey him she did not touch him but stood apart glaring his garments fell from him and lay in a heap at his feet and he stood among them naked one look and she broke forth shaking with fear herself into a breathless storm of fury thou hast known this thing and hidden it she raved leper leper accursed hunchback thing as he stood in his nakedness and sobbed great heavy childish sobs she did not dare to strike him and rage the more if it were known that she had harboured him the priests would be upon her and all that she had would be taken from her and burned she would not even let him put his clothes on in her house take thy rags and begone in thy nakedness clothe thyself on the hillside let none see thee until thou art far away rot as thou wilt but dare not to name me be gone, begone begone and with his rags he fled naked through the doorway and hid himself in the little wood beyond later as he went on his way he had hidden himself in the daytime behind bushes by the wayside or off the road he had crouched behind rocks and boulders he had slept in caves when he found them he had shrunk away from all human sight he knew it could not be long before he would be discovered and then he would be shut up and afterward he would be as Boreas until he died alone like unto Barias, to him it seemed as though surely never child had sobbed before, as he sobbed, lying hidden behind his boulders among his bushes on the bare hill among the rocks, for the first four nights of his wandering, he had not known where he was going, but on this fifth night he discovered he was on the way to Bethlehem, beautiful little Bethlehem curving on the crest of the judean mountains and smiling down upon the fairness of the fairest of sweet valleys rich with vines and figs and olives and almond trees he dimly recalled stories he had overheard of its loveliness and when he found that he had wandered unknowingly toward it he was aware of a faint sense of peace he had seen nothing of any other part of the world than the poor village outside which the hovel of his bondmistress had clung to a low hill since he was near it he vaguely desired to see bethlehem he had learned of its nearness as he lay hidden in the undergrowth on the mountainside that he had begun to climb the night before awakening from sleep he had heard many feet passing up the climbing road the feet of men and women and children of camels and asses and all had seemed to be of a procession ascending the mountainside lying flat upon the earth he had parted the bushes cautiously and watched and listened to the shouts cries laughter and talk of those who were near enough to be heard so bit by bit he had heard the story of the passing throng the great emperor augustus who to the common herd seemed some strange omnipotent in his remote and sumptuous paradise of rome had issued a decree that all the world of his subjects should be enrolled and every man, woman, and child must enroll himself in his own city. And to the little town of Bethlehem all these travelers were wending their way to the place of their nativity in obedience to the great Caesar's command. End of Section 8